not really worth the money that I spent. For the first time in my life, I nearly left the game at half time. Not good enough, Eddie. In a word, shocking. You've got to try and win. You can't get the ball out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the TW2 Rugby Podcast, the home of rugby here in the UK. I am still Fergus Mainland, and joining me on this monumental week of rugby, we seem to be saying that quite a lot recently, is Alex Reid and Imogen Ainsworth. We've got so much to get through in today's episode. We will start, as we did last week, going round the rugby world in 80 seconds. We have an extended trip to the press box uh, throughout this episode. We've got two brilliant guests, and I've got a quiz to wrap this all up at the end, which is... Well, there you go, exactly. It's super exciting. But we will start, Imran Alex, with our trip around the rugby world in 80 seconds, running through everything that has happened in the past week. Eddie Jones has taken over the head coaching role in Australia from Dave Rennie. He will lead the Wallabies and the Wallaroos. He has nine months to prepare the Aussies for the World Cup. If the script plays out like it should do, Australia will play England in the quarterfinals. And French rugby powerhouse Claremont has sacked their head coach, Jono Gibbs, on Monday because of the humiliating 44-29 home defeat in the Champions Cup by Leicester. After last week's episode was released, it was announced that the Ireland women's rugby teams wear navy-coloured shorts from next season to alleviate player concerns about wearing traditional white shorts when they have their periods. Players from both the Irish women's 15s and 7s teams will wear darker colour shorts from the start of the 2023-24 season. And finally, in the past couple of days, we have had a report from the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee on the recent demise of Wasps and Worcester. And it has said it has put a stain on the reputation of the sports authorities. Damien Green MP said elite club rugby is in disarray and the committee also said that Worcester Warriors' unscrupulous owners mismanaged club finances while attempting to strip the club of its assets. Pretty big stuff, all that in just mm. over 80 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Worth noting as well that um, some squads for something called the Six Nations has also been announced this week. Just some minor news. Yeah. Minor news, big. that one. We had Italy's squad being announced last week. We went into discussion about Benetton, their successes that they've been having. Check out last week's episode for that. Uh, but we have had four squads announced in recent days, the first of which was France. Fabian Galti has announced his 42-man squad that will look to defend their Six Nations Championship title. Warren Gatland has announced his first squad back as Wales head coach with Ken Owens at the helm. But Imogen, this steers quite nicely into our first trip to the press box today. And we're going to take a deep dive today into the England squad and to the Scotland squad. And you were at the press announcement where Steve Borthwick named his first England squad. I was indeed, and may I just say, I was hugely motivated by that that talk from Steve Borthwick. If that's not enough to convince you that England are going to do some brilliant things, I don't know what it is. I could do with him as my alarm clock in the morning to kind of wake me up and prepare me for the day. I feel like that's he's got the kind of motivational tones I could do. With. I I felt a similar thing coming out of that, being deeply Scottish. <laughs> even Steve Borthwick standing up and saying everything that he said. I want Steve Borthwick to win. But, but you want, you it's want just them to win for Steve. Ahead of England. Yeah. 
I, I quite enjoyed he um I really like I mean I've I've come across him twice now from his announcement as head coach and the squad announcement and he always has an anecdote or something to add in about a player he, he told stories of um of Ellis Genge at Leicester going around every table at lunch and thinking he was just looking for more food but he was taking the chance to talk to every single player you know the the young guys and the older guys and that's you know a, a key factor in the way Ellis goes about his work and why he's been selected as um vice captain alongside Courtney Laws with uh, Owen Farrell as captain Steve's sticked with um Eddie's final captain um which I don't know I'm not sure whether I'd expect him to shake things up a bit but I think Owen's led the country extremely well for the past few years and I don't think he necessarily needed to be um shifted I don't know mm. what you guys think yeah no I think it he made the right call and the pretty obvious call I don't mm. don't think there needed to be a leadership change because there's so many leaders in that squad anyway yeah. there, there was a well-renowned leadership group um all of whom those three guys they were in it so yeah seems like it's all in a all in a good space english rugby for the first time in a <laughs> few years yeah he also um gave a story about um courtney laws when he came back um from northampton he said he'd been speaking to phil douse and the head coach northampton and said that when courtney was on the touchline ready to make his appearance back kind of you could see the all the opposition players looked at him all of his team looked at him the whole crowd looked at him and the opposition players kind of shrunk back but mm. he said Northampton players kind of grew and that that's the impact that Courtney has he doesn't even say anything but knowing he's your teammate <coughs> um kind of brings out the best in people so I think it could be really good to see mm. him in the vice captain role what stood out to me as well obviously we've got George and, and Henry coming back Henry Arundel coming back kind of this week and Steve said for him it was really important that they played a game at their clubs and they just enjoyed their rugby again getting back mm. on the pitch and then he'll kind of have those conversations. So I think he has spoken to them about that. Tom Curry obviously injured, unfortunately, but twin brother Ben is in the squad. And Steve said that Ben's always been on his radar. It's not just since yeah. Tom has been injured. He's kind of had his eye on on Ben as well. Um, Cowan Dickey injured as well, unfortunately, which is quite a big blow. Sad to see him out at this stage, but we don't know who's going to be able to make recoveries and come back. In his chat, he had with the press that he sat down with, and I'm not sure if it's all, but a number of the premiership head coaches and DORs and had like 45, 90 minute conversation with them about selection, which I think is definitely needed to hear the, you know, the the coaches that they spend time with day in, day out and mm. hear what they have to say. And he said, made me laugh and quite a few of us enjoyed it. He said that Kevin Sinfield showed him a video about five times of Ollie Hassel Collins and <laughs> was so impressed with him and she wouldn't stop going on about this, whatever Ollie had done. And we brought up to Kev, someone, someone brought up to Kev and he was like, yeah, I was quite impressed with him. I was quite <laughs> impressed with him. So, no, I think they've definitely... There's been no stone left unturned, I feel like. I feel like they really have had a look at everyone that's available. And Steve said there's no red line through anyone's name at the moment. So even those that we mentioned that are out, you know, Johnny Mays, Jack Knowles, could make it back in yeah. at some point in the year. We shall see. So here is our little catch-up we had with Charlie Morgan, senior rugby writer at The Telegraph and his takes on Steve Borthwick's first England squad. So I think first question, when the squad came out yesterday, what was your biggest surprise in terms of who was in or, or out of the, the team list? So the name that kind of, um, I looked for Billy Villapoda's name and was really surprised that it wasn't there. Um, not necessarily because um, 
he's been in the exceptional form for England. He probably had a bit of a dip in the autumn after coming back fairly well against Australia. But I just I thought that he'd done enough um, in the Premiership and in the Champions Cup to kind of get another shot at it. Um, on the other hand, I, I was surprised that Alex Donbrandt was ahead of him. Um, Donbrandt's kind of been a bit frustrated with injuries, I think, this season. Hasn't really managed to get into games, certainly from an attacking point of view. He was pretty good um, on the back foot in defence against, even though um, Quinn's got thrashed by Saints. He was pretty good in that game, got a few turnovers. Um, but I think that's the, that was a big surprise for me, but it's kind of indicative of how um, Steve Borthwick kind of wants to prioritise uh, mobility and breakdown defence um, in the back five of that pack. Yeah, and I suppose just speaking of the pack, Dan Cole's obviously back into the back into the squad. What do you think he can bring to to England's scrum after a pretty disappointing year last year? Yeah, well, that's that's what it is, isn't it? It, it was a kind of people will look at the, the potentially look at the South Africa game because the, the scrummaging difficulties were most obvious in that game. But um, against Argentina, there were two late scrum penalties that um, really sat momentum from it, for it, from England um, before they had that late um, salvage job against New Zealand. There were scrummaging issues there too. So that's that's clearly what they're doing. What um, So his, you know, Steve Borthwick knows him back to front. Um, Dan Cole himself has kind of commented on how tight an individual's role is under Steve Borthwick. He just kind of tends to kind of give give you a very um, focused remit, it seems. What interests me as well as that is that there isn't a massively heavy lock, not that England have that many of them. I thought that scrummaging as well as work around the loose would, would get Dave Ribbons in. Um, I think there were, there is room for Joe Launchby to come back because of that. Um, and then also on the loose head side, uh, Bevan Rod and Maka Vinopola being there ahead of someone like Val Rapava Ruskin. Not sure still on Joe Marler's circumstances, but those two specialist scrummaging loose head props have sort of been being left out. But it's funny, isn't it? That with we know um, Steve Borthwick's done such a good job with Leicester. He's so familiar with the Premiership that even with those calls, you kind of you think, okay, there must be a really kind of strong rationale behind them. So let's see how it works out. And then obviously um, Steve's named Owen as captain and then Ellis and Courtney taking that vice-captain role. How do you think that's going to work for England? He obviously spoke really highly yesterday of, of the three of them and what they can bring. Yeah, um, I think Imogen, you were there, weren't you? The, the kind of how they how they interact together um, was, quite, was a point that was made a couple of times by... Steve Borthwick and then by and then reiterated by by Kevin Sinfield. They're three totally different um, leaders, it seems. Sort of um, Courtney very being very much a kind of lead by deeds rather than words. Although you know, clearly he, you'd listen to him um, when he was delivering messages. Um, Ellis Gange seems there seems to be a really kind of delicate pastoral side to him. Um, and Steve Borthwick told a bit of an anecdote about him kind of going round. Um, during lunch at Leicester and speaking to everybody and um, kind of familiarising himself with people. And then obviously you, you kind of, we've, we've become familiar with Owen Farrell's kind of direct leadership style. So they spoke of them as a kind of trio. And I think that's quite good because they're not necessarily going to be on the pitch for all 80 minutes of every game, um, given, the, given the options available to England, especially Laws in that back row. Um, clearly, front row as you're doing well to get 
get to kind of 70 minutes, let alone the full game. And then even with Owen Farrell thinking about how well Marcus Smith looked, how good Marcus Smith looked, sorry, um, on his return um, and just the midfield options available there. So I think it was it was really refreshing. But one thing that Kevin Sinfield did say also was that he wants to kind of develop more leaders. So we'll see how that works out. And Steve's gone for quite a young back three. Does that excite you? He's obviously left out some of the more experienced members of that back three that we've seen in recent years. Do you think they could bring some exciting flair to the game? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he was really seemed really kind of effusive about Ollie Hassel Collins, didn't he? That was the one that really kind of caught my caught my ear. Um, the way he was speaking about him, he was really sometimes certainly with uncapped players, coaches can be kind of a bit. Um, a bit wary of pumping their tyres too much, but that didn't seem to be an issue at all. He was, um, you know, cycling through a load of things that, um, a load of kind of reasons that um, he thinks Ollie Hassel Collins can kind of thrive at test level, which was really, really cool. And and when you kind of think of one of those wingers, you're immediately thinking, God, actually, Caden Murley's been on fire and, and his finishing looks fantastic. He looks like a great athlete. Tommy Freeman's a really good link player. Um same with Max. Same with Max Malins, and then another kind of, um, I think a guy who's potentially going to be integral given the form he's in is Elliot Daly, um, not a youngster, but at thirty or thirty-one, I think. But he, him, and the, the kind of link between him and um, Farrell, that uh, combination, could get England firing. But yeah, no, loads of exciting names, and Henry Arundel to come back sooner rather than later, we believe, for London and the Irish potentially that the next. Um, the next Premiership game, and same with Anthony Watson. Those two are close as well. So loads of firepower. Yeah, there's there's so much to look forward to in that squad. But have you got a game that you're most looking forward to in the Six Nations? Oh, boring, isn't it? But the, I mean, they're all going to be amazing. They're, they're given how how cool the World Cup is shaping up to be. Um, I think that first game um, for Warren Gatland um, against Ireland's great. That's going to be really interesting, but I think um, honestly they all are. That's such a boring answer, but Wales hosting England in round three, um, really, really interesting. Wales, sorry, England. I can see England going. I can see England arriving at that France game in round four, three from three. I just have that's maybe just because of having covered um, Steve Borthwick so so closely over the last couple of years and, and just having so much faith in, in his coaching ability um, but yeah it's just going to be it's going to be an awesome tournament given the context of, of Test Rugby Union and then kind of as a as a fan and then through your work do you have a favourite Six Nations memory that you could pick out so my uh, fandom, I guess, is so I grew up at, grew up in Leicester, but my dad, who was kind of integral to getting me into rugby, is uh, Welsh, and he and he's a and he's a big Wales fan. I remember a big kind of a really really big Wales win was was it two thousand twelve the thirty three game in in Cardiff. I remember I remember um, Justin Tipperick just lighting it up that day. But there's been I mean there's been so many down the years, but that's one that kind of just a huge game in England, England kind of going there for a Grand Slam, I think, and, and Wales kind of having come back through um, coming and sort of coming through so strongly at the end of that tournament. Um, yeah, that sticks out to me. Nice one. And, and just, just finally, Charlie, uh, who wins the Six Nations this year and uh, where are England going to finish? I think Ireland will win it. Um, I think 
Um, France. Oh, yo, yo. I think this is this is how this is how. Again, this is the Borthwick factor, and maybe just being around him and Sinfield yesterday, and being so impressed and taken by them. I'm sure if I went to another press conference, I'd be sort of all all in on another team. But how about how about um, Ireland one, England two, France three? That's big. That's big. We'll be holding you accountable at the end of uh, at the end of the Six Nations on that one. Quite right. Quite right. So huge thanks to Charlie Morgan for catching up with us earlier on in the week to discuss the England squad. And actually, it means we can pivot quite nicely onto a discussion about the Scotland squad. But before we get on to that, um, the one huge name that isn't in the England squad but is in the Scotland squad is Rui McConaughey of Bath, who was previously capped at the World Cup, scoring a try against the United States of America, hasn't played in that three-year window that's now required by World Rugby, and Gregor Townsend has named him in his starting squad. It feels different to the Charles Pietals of the world and the Malachi Fekatoas, because the reason why this law came in is so those lads, because they've been capped a few times for the All Blacks, could then go back and play for Tonga, which is a union that has been sort of stripped of all of its talent and it, a lot of the Pacific Islands, islands are in the same situation. For Rory McConaughey, that's not really the case and it just feels different to me. I, mm. I don't really like it, but I can see why he's doing it. Like if if they're going to pay him to play for Scotland, then mm. he, he'll go. I mean, Ben, ben Healy is also going over from Ireland to play for Scotland. It's a little bit different, but Rory McConaughey's case specific, specifically seems a bit off to me. Don't know what you think of it. Obviously, I've never represented my country, so I can't really uh, comment. See, I think I'm the only one out of the three of us that has represented their country. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just, personally, I think clubs are slightly different because, you know, you kind of look more at where it's going to benefit you. But I think you're... I personally wouldn't be able to kind of swap allegiances. So he hasn't played against Scotland, but if, say, if you had, you'd played for England against Scotland, and now you're going to go and do the same again. And I just... I don't really know how I feel about it. it. I guess we see quite a lot at the moment, players that are dual qualified, particularly I've noticed in Wales and, and stuff recently with, and Finn Smith actually for England, them getting caps quite early on in their career for England. So England have got them or whatever. So they've, you know, they've, Finn Smith now can't play for Scotland when he plays for England until that three year rule is breached, which I guess you can't really pick who you're selected for first. You know, if, if England come knocking first, you're not necessarily going to turn down in a, mm. a chance to play international rugby, but then also if you if your heart's in it for Scotland, then I, I think I think as well like these lads don't have a long career, no. and if someone's going to give you that money, you've got to go and take yeah. it. I don't have a problem with it from a personal perspective from Rory. I think the the law is probably too sweeping in the way yeah. it's worded that it's allowed him to do that. I think it's quite vague, and people are going to start using that to yeah. their advantage people could have you know younger players now could have it in their game plan right I'm qualified to play for X, Y and Z I'm going to play a couple of years for England I'm going to go off and play club rugby somewhere else yeah. and then I'm mm. going to play for my other nation which shouldn't necessarily be the game plan you go into it should be I want to put my heart and soul into playing yeah. for England playing for Scotland I saw something that Alan Quinlan on, on the ball said Ben Healy's running away from a fight and he should have stayed in Ireland to to try and get in the Ireland team when I don't really agree with that at all like if he feels Scottish, he feels Scottish. And yes, he's from Tipperary, but if he feels Scottish, then he feels Scottish. That segues quite nicely on to the Scotland team announcement. Gregor Townsend 
released his 36-man squad on Tuesday. In a Scotland team, it's hampered by injuries, the Scotland team. In the forwards, uh, Hamish Watson is starting to come back. He is training again. Uh, Darcy Graham, we know, is out. Uh, Hastings as well. We obviously know Stuart Hogg didn't travel during Exeter's most recent Champions Cup game. So all over the place, we've got injuries in the Scotland team. But there is a huge hope that a lot of these players are going to be able to come back and and represent their country in the England game, but also later on down the line. Yes, Gregor Townsend, 36-man squad that he has announced to go and defend the Calcutta Cup oh, Gosh, to open... Next weekend, what a huge performance that's going to be. They'll be sent homeward to think again. No, they won't. The thing is, though, with, you know, I've spoken about how motivational Steve is and I want them to win for Steve, but I couldn't call this Six Nations. Warren Gatlin's back for Wales, which is like bringing back their glory years. I kind of hope they put Sam Warburton as captain and we'd just go from there, but unfortunately, fortunately not. But yeah, I don't, I, I'm actually really looking forward to this year's Six Nations and I, I think anyone could be anyone we've seen Italy's performances over the past few years you know if people have an off day that's a huge that's a huge claim Emil uh, but speaking of not being able to call the Six Nations uh, I caught up with Scottish rugby correspondent for the Times Alistair Reid earlier on today to give his thoughts on the Scotland team but also thoughts on Gregor Townsend as well when you when the team sheet came out, the squad was announced. What was some of the big standout points that you saw from the squad in terms of who was in, but most importantly, who was who was out as well? Well, funnily enough, it was one of those years when um, the the ins were much more important than the outs. Um, uh, November was dominated by the out that was uh, Finn Russell, who later became an in, of course. Um, there's not really a lot of big standout names there. Um, Sam Johnson and Mark Bennett in the centres. I guess they 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 would they would qualify as you know. I wouldn't have been surprised to see them in, but the quality of the centres at the moment is probably as good as I've ever seen. Um, uh, amongst the forwards, I guess. Um, uh, Magnus Bradbury would maybe be the the one you thought could could have found a way in. Yeah, and you touched there on the on the the strength of the the centres, but I think one area that I still got real concern is probably the back three, the wings, and the and the fullback. We've always been not quite sure what sort of state Stuart Hogg's going to be in for that opening game. Yeah, who do you think you'd like to see step up to the to the wings, particularly if if Duhan's still touch and go and. And we don't quite know when Darcy's going to be back into the mix as well. Yeah, well, I, th- I think I think Duhan's actually all right. I believe he's going to be okay, um, and he'll certainly have one game. He, he may well play for Edinburgh in their URC game um, in 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 what ten days time. Um, uh, Darcy's definitely out. Um, so, if we assume that uh, Duhan is in there. I think uh, I'd be happy to see Sean Maitland come in there. I think he, he's confident against the guys he'll be, he'd be playing against uh, in England. Um, I'm not sure if Rory McConaughey is quite in the uh, in the frame for one of the positions just yet. Um, I think he's maybe brought in as cover, but, you know, that said, there's, there's not an awful lot, lot more. Um Kyle Stain doesn't do an awful lot wrong. It's, it's got, it's got a good sc- scoring record. 
there's always Blair Kinghorn, of course, if uh, if, if Gregor decides that uh, the the Blair Switch project is is actually is actually uh-huh. over. Um, but I I, I kind of think I think they will get Hoggy out there if they can. Uh, Gregor made the point yesterday that uh, he's one of those guys who can who can be out for a month and then come back and play really well. So he's not one of those guys who, who needs a, who needs a long runway as it were to take off. Um, so yeah, permutation of that. But uh, but certainly Darcy's a big big loss. He's a he's, he, he's a great guy to watch. He's a, he's a great guy all round actually. Um, and I think he, he he has given Scotland a point of difference in the last uh, well, certainly over the last year. Yeah, certainly, particularly because he was still in the top one or two of the of the URC try scoring and, and meters made, even though he hadn't paid for at least a couple of rounds of the, the tournament. So I think a, a big loss there. And I suppose sticking with the backs, do you think after the nonsense that happened in autumn, we'll still see Finn Russell coming in and, and starting 10? Or do you think there'll still be all sorts going on with that jersey? I, I, I think uh, I think Greg has kind of bitten the bullet on that one. I've, I've, I've just written these back in the squad, if not if not back in Gregor's Christmas card list. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he, you know it, it, it really is cutting cutting off your nose to spite your face to leave that guy out. Um, you know that said, you know in fairness to Gregor Finn, I don't think since the 2019 World Cup Finn had played a really good game for Scotland until. New Zealand and um, and Argentina last November, so maybe it was the kick up the the proverbial that, that he required. I'm pretty certain he'll be in there. The question is, does Ben Healy come in as the backup, or does Blair Kinghorn sit there with the added versatility that he has um, to, to 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 play in the back three if required, especially given that the back three is 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 down a couple of players at the moment. Yeah, that's what I wondered. I think particularly for the opening game against England, uh, I think when there's still question marks over Scotland's pack and England's pack looks like it's going to be as as strong as it ever ever has been. I think you would you'd sort of assume that you'd bring Claire, Blair Kinghorn in just so he can cover a few more of those those um, backs positions. Yeah, may well be, may well. It could. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what Gregor's um, track record is on six two splits, but it becomes it would be a lot more comfortable on a the six two split with if um you know if, if if he had Blair Kinghorn out there and if if one of his um one of his wingers was versatile enough to move into the center and there I particularly start to think of Kyle Stein. Uh-huh. So um, you know the, 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 the he's got options there. Yeah definitely and I suppose on on Gregor we've got all of these rumors and stories flying all over the place that he's that he's off to France he could be off to Leicester which of course he, he denied yesterday but I suppose like the timing of it just couldn't be worse at the moment in terms of trying to get a team ready for, for the opening game against England well I mean in media terms it probably is because it or or maybe Gregor quite likes the fact it's a distraction from any 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 other choices he makes I I think Greg is a smart enough guy to be able to you know keep you know to, to, to multitask keep a keep a few balls juggling in the air. I think he won't want to be deciding his future at this point in time. You know, I think he'll want to get the Six Nations out of the way. But that then and 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 I, I and I don't think the SRU would offer him a new contract at this juncture because they want to see how the Six Nations went anyway. But would they offer him 
a new contract before a World Cup, that's that's questionable because if the World Cup went completely pear-shaped, then it would look like a, a bad piece of business. Um, my my gut feeling is that he he may well move on, although I suspect he, he probably will have the the option to stay if he wants to. Um, just because I, you know he's Greg has always been a bit of a, a, a magpie um, in terms of where he played um, and you know his interest in, in in sport around the world. The fact he's fluent in French does help. As does the fact that uh, his two boys are now are now out of school. He doesn't have that that tie keeping keeping him here. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I think the the clamor for him to to go is misplaced because he, you know, statistically he's got a great record for Scotland, best ever. His record against England is very very good, and you know he's pulled off big wins against Australia as well. A um, couple of hiccups along the way, but um, you know, pretty much all coaches will have that if they stick around as long as he has. Yeah, certainly. And actually, just touching on that England record steers very nicely onto my next question, which is, um, where do you think Scotland will finish in this year's Six Nations, and who do you think will win overall men's competition? I think they'll to, to answer your first question. I think they'll finish at Murrayfield. That's the last game. Um, <laughs> Hey, gosh, 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 gosh. Um, I, th- I think a couple of flies have been sort of cast into the ointment with the coaching changes at England and, and Wales. Because we don't, they're, they're going to be difficult to predict. I think third place would be a good finish for Scotland this year. But I don't know how Wales are going to go. I find that very difficult to call. England, I expect, will get a big boost from their rival of Borthwick. And France are, as we know, building nicely. I mean, Ireland, you know, the, you know, I, Ireland have been the, the, the one team that, that, that Gregor hasn't been able to beat. Uh, I, um, I, th- I think maybe he didn't one year. Uh, you know, they, they've been a very tough, tough opponent. So um, third stroke, fourth, depending on... I, I think they'll beat Italy. They should do with by comfort. Um Depending on how they how they hit Wales at home, um, and the same with Ireland. I think Ireland are still quite critical, quite critically dependent on, on two or three big players uh, for all the strength and depth that we talk of. We know, but we've seen in the past that when they've lost a couple, they, they have dipped. Um, and I think it is about about time that Scotland started beating beating Ireland. Um, so um, I don't think they'll win it. If I'm being optimistic, I say third realistically more likely fourth but hopefully without any any humiliations along the way yeah that's that that sounds about right yeah <laughs> and i suppose just finally have you got uh, a favorite six nations memory from over the years well i'm old enough to go back to, to have a, a favorite five nations memories <laughs> as well but uh um gosh 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 uh i i was in rome it, it, you know, if we go to the cusp of the, cusp of the Six Nations, the very first uh, Six Nations game that took place was Italy uh, against Scotland in Rome in 2000. And although it was a disaster for Scotland, uh, including one Gregor Townsend, um, it was just such a magnificent occasion to, to see Italy welcomed into the fold. Quite a few others. I, I was at Twickenham two years ago when Scotland won, um, uh, you know, in that empty stadium. Um, and just the fact that I can plant the flag and say I was there, uh, that, that that was good. Going back to Five Nations, 
funnily enough, I, I was there as a punter, as a very young punter, I should say, in 84, when they won the, the first Grand Slam since 1925, which I didn't witness. Um, and, um, you know, that, that, that was a great day, because it was one of the last games I did just as a punter, you know, and on the... Um, on, on, on the on the south terrace uh, sharing bottles of wine with some French guys um even though I wasn't old enough for that either uh that was uh, uh I, and it was illegal by then as well um uh yeah great 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 memories I mean you know and it's just so hard to pick out and and so many of the best memories of of, of the tournament are not just of the games it's of the, the swirl around it the the meals you go for uh, before and after all, all all of that stuff so i suppose the one game that i would love to 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 see replayed and especially this year was the 99 game when scotland scored in paris and scotland scored i think five tries in 17 minutes it was insane i'd like to do it with a clearer head than i had that day um, <laughs> because we uh, talking of meals we've been out for a very good one the night before but that 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 was just the most astonishing thing i've ever seen in the Six Nations or, or anywhere else. Um, um, but Six Nations, yeah, I I Italy, the very first game. That was that was great. So a huge thanks to Alistair Reid for sitting down with me earlier on in the week. Really interesting to get his thoughts on the Scotland team. And as he alluded to, what's quite exciting is the names have been put in. And actually, when you sit down on paper and start to piece together a team for... The as opening game, done. as we have done, using our Revision, time very, very productively. You can actually start to piece together a team that, on paper, is actually quite a dangerous team, mm. um, particularly in your centres, as Alistair alluded to. So you've got centre options of Hugh Jones, Chris Harris, Sione Tuopoloto, and then I think when you sandwich that between experience with Finn Russell, with Stuart Hogg at the back as well, once again, you've got a back a back line which it's up there like your entire back mm. section it's one of the yeah. best back sections in the world and you look at England's obviously they brought Elliot Daly back but uh, Steve's gone for a relatively young you know choice of yeah. back threes so they have uh, Tommy Freeman Ollie Hassel Collins and Caden Murley they've got a total of three caps all coming from Tommy Freeman I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing it's nice to have um, like an injection of new players and definitely talent back into the squad and then Freddie Stewart's probably the apart from Elliot Daly obviously he's probably one of the most experienced out of that lot he's been brilliant so it's nice to see that they're all a similar age but Freddie can probably help them in the England setup. The thing that he'll give them is security under the high ball mm. which I think England lacked for so long yeah. having played Elliot Daly at fullback um, and then it will allow Caden Murley and Oli Collins to do the stuff that they're good at. Dan Kelly as well, has he got one cap? Yeah, he's got one, one cap, cap against so. USA or Canada in the summer. Yeah, um, and obviously he's a teammate of uh, yeah. Freddie Stewart's at Leicester, so I'm really excited. As I say, the Dan kids are Kelly all right. Dan Kelly as well. I just, just would like to say I was about two years early on how good he was because I saw him play. Were you? For one, <laughs> the, my mates will attest to this. I was like, this will lad's be. really, really, really <laughs> good. Um, but... I think he should start, to be honest. I absolutely love Dan mm. Kelly. He's unbelievable Over at the breakdown. Over to Alagi or Slade? That's huge. With Manny. With Manny. No, 12-13. Farrell. Farrell. Farrell at 10? Yeah, Farrell at 10. Well, funny you say that. Kevin Sinfield did say, mentioned Farrell at 10 quite a few times. I haven't confirmed what position he's going to be playing in. Of course he's going to play 10. 
Well, you I don't know. It didn't work. You don't know. I, so think, I think he should play 10 as well because he's been the best 10 in the Premiership this year. I think it's his natural position. No, he it? hasn't been. He because has been. Your best 10 in the Premiership does not get red carded. <laughs> I'm not going to speak on this issue. So <laughs> he doesn't get red carded. So. Well, he do. doesn't, exactly. He doesn't get red carded. That's the whole problem, Fergus. He avoids the red cards and then gets cited on it later and he wins the game. Uh, it's sad as a Gloucester fan. But anyway, let's move on. Before yeah, we but to... speaking of caps, that steers us very nicely onto this week's quiz. This year's Six Nations England men's squad has 1,054 caps, as Steve alluded to in his speech. when he was like, We've got more than a thousand caps of experience. Um, but I feel like he's in the room with me right now. That yeah. was brilliant. But which country had the most caps going into last year's tournament? Not including call-ups, because we can talk about call-ups afterwards. Which country had the most caps going into last year's tournament? Do we have an A, B, and C multiple choice, or is it just... Well, no, it's, oh, you've got good. six options of Scotland, England, Ireland... Wales, Italy, and France. Oh, thank you for clarifying that one for me. I'd have had no clue. <laughs> and and then I want to have a rough ballpark of where oh. you think it's at. I'm going to say Ireland. I would have said Ireland as well, but now you said Ireland. No, you can say Ireland. It's fine. I would um, I would have thought you would you would oh. think France, but remember they cut all their players over <laughs> thirty, didn't they? Um, yeah, I'll say Ireland as well. So Ireland. Ireland, yeah. Uh, you both go Ireland. How many caps do you think the Ireland squad had? Oh, 1,300. I would have said 1,200. Yeah, you're closest, Alex. 1,119 caps Ooh, in, so Ireland, right. in Ireland's original 37 oh. named squad. How many Sexton got from that? <laughs> well, he's half of them. Worth noting that despite France naming a bigger squad, their 42-man squad, as France often do at the beginning of mm. the Six Nations, only 624 caps across those 42 players. Really well. That, France's squad last year. If you year. think they, you know, they cut every player over 30, didn't they? So yeah. they've got relatively young players who probably have played a lot, but not, you know, you think of um, Sexton, how his yeah. career has just gone on forever, mm. it seems. And worth noting as well, France didn't call up anyone. Ireland called up four players with a total of 16 caps between them. Uh, but the largest number of call-ups was from Wales, uh, which increased their original 948 caps up to 1,211, an increase of 263. Uh, three players, one of them was, of course, Alan Wynne-Jones. I, 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 I was just about to say that actually 952 of those 954 were all Alan Wynne-Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not well. captain this time. So. No, this is, I'm, I think that says it's, it's his last one. Yeah. That's a different topic. Do you reckon he'll make it to the World Cup? Yes, of course he does. Yeah, yeah, he'll play in the World Cup, yeah. Of course he last, last hurrah. Yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. And then he'll tie, tie the boots. 100%. Tie the laces. Yeah. The lowest number of caps was... I don't guess. Oh, go on then. Italy. Oh, yeah. I was going to say Italy as well. Italy. Yes, Italy. Thank you. Uh, 416 caps. Admittedly, they didn't name an original 33-man uh, squad, but it's still over 200 caps behind... France. Because they're all under 20 players. And no Parisa anymore. Yeah. Uh, they called up six uh, to increase their squad by 53 caps worth of experience. So with that quiz, the clock has very much gone red on today's episode. But thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you next time on the TW2 podcast. <laughs>